Beloved, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew 5. We'll read verses 1 through 16. It's a familiar passage. In the beginning of what has been called the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at the what has also been known as the Beatitudes, um, the blessedness of being one in union with Jesus Christ by His Holy Spirit. The reason why these are called Beatitudes is because when the, the Greek language was translated into Latin, uh, this word, happy or blessed, was translated as beatus. You may have heard of the beatific vision that uh, Augustine speaks of, where we will behold uh, the Lamb of God. And as First John 3 says, we will see Him as He is and we'll be like Him. As the beatific vision, it's the blessed vision, it's the happy vision. And so, this is, these are the blesseds or the Beatitudes, the happies of being in union with Christ by His Holy Spirit. A familiar passage. Let us stand and hear the word of the Lord, heed the word of the Lord, and ask the Lord to give us a, a new, a renewed understanding of this passage. Familiar passages, we can uh, be overly familiar, that we don't hear as well as we should. So let's pray right now. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who rules and reigns over heaven and earth. And we thank you that you have given us your word. We have your infallible, inerrant word, your most holy word before us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, now that you will uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would uh, teach us, Holy Spirit. You would train us. You would transform us by your grace as uh, we seek illumination and uh, further change in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and Utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light 
shine before others so that you may see your good works, so that they may see your good works, so that they may see your good works and give glory, give glory, give glory, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Beloved, as those who are called to be Jesus' disciples, his followers, his learners, we so quickly forget that we're called to be salt in our world, in our culture. We forget we're called to be light. I think we hear it so often that we don't stop to think about it anymore. <laughs> anymore. Salt is a preservative. A light is something that shines in the darkness and The purpose of it all that uh, the Lord Jesus focuses our attention in verse 16 is that let others see your light shine so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The ultimate end for our being salt and light is for the glory of God. In the early 20th century, when progress was leading to wars and bloodshed and more and more full-blown, unashamed atheism. There was a good newspaper man that tweeted out. What was tweet at that time uh, was, was the column, the opinion column. Some of you may not remember opinion columns, but he asked in his column, what is wrong with this world in this state of affairs? That continues to lead to bloodshed and war. And a man named G.K. Chesterton. Some people know him as G.K. Some people know him as Gilbert Keith. He wrote in and he answered the tweet. I am. The kingdom, beloved, comes in a beautiful and glorious way. Yet contrary to the power and the propaganda and the politics of this present age. The kingdom comes almost imperceptibly. The kingdom comes by sitting down and opening his mouth through the Lord Jesus to teach. To disciple his people. Because the kingdom must begin with us. If we want to see the world change, we must be changed. And so this passage teaches us something very important. That we're to be like G.K. Chesterton. In that when we see all the mess that the world has made around us, we're willing to start with ourselves. That I'm the problem with the world. Join me in repentance and faith. I'm the problem with the world. And there's only one hope, and that is that the kingdom may come more powerfully, yet imperceptibly, very quietly, yet beautifully, paradoxically, yes, but transformatively in and through Jesus Christ by His Spirit to us. And so there's three things I want to note here in this passage, is I want to note, first of all, the way the kingdom comes in Christ by His Spirit first. The second thing I want to note is how the kingdom comes in Christ to his church. And then I want to note 
the way the kingdom comes through the church into the world. So the first thing I want to note is how the kingdom comes in Christ first. You remember the larger context of the Beatitudes. Let's not forget it. Jesus has just started preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The rule and reign of God, the long-awaited rule and reign of God, humble yourselves before the Lord for He is present. And then He teaches them to pray in Matthew 6, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. So what he's teaching in the Beatitudes, in this blessedness, is how the kingdom comes first in Christ by His Spirit. Jesus, one who men did not look upon as any special person, He was the very God-man, the very Son of God, united permanently in hypostatic personal union with humanity. And when he wanted the kingdom to come, he sat down to teach. He sat down to disciple. He opened up his mouth and began to speak of the blessedness or the happiness of the heir to the kingdom. And beloved, before we go any further, the reason the first point is so important is because Jesus is ultimately the only blessed man. Jesus is ultimately the only happy man. Jesus is ultimately the man of Psalm 1, that blessed is the man who does not get in the way of the wicked, who doesn't stand in the way of sinners or stand in the seat of scoffers. He's the only one who meditates ultimately on the law of the Lord day and night. He's the only one who has been perfectly righteous. He's the only one who deserves to be honored by the Father with such happiness, such blessedness. And so it's most important to remember that before the kingdom comes to us, it first comes in Christ. You see, Christ is saying, happy, blessed. This condition that we look at from the scriptures and from the Psalms is, is, is above our circumstances. It's a happiness, it's a blessedness, because we are in perfect union and relationship with the living God. We are in relationship with the living God who has a purpose, who has a plan for our lives, who watches over us and never leaves us nor forsakes us. And so the Lord Jesus throughout His ministry, He demonstrated this happiness, this blessedness, and He earned this happiness, this blessedness for His own people so that we could be heirs of His perfect life his death, His resurrection and His ascension. And so when we think about how the kingdom might come, let's first gaze upon the glory and beauty of Christ here. And remember that He is the one who humbles Himself and is poor in spirit. He is the one fully dependent upon the Father in reliance upon the Holy Spirit, living His life perfectly. Jesus is the blessed happy man who mourns. You remember him mourning, not over his sins. He was a perfect, perfect man. Uh, but he sympathized with sinners. And he was tempted in every way. And he saw the mess we'd made of the world. And he mourned. And we think of the way he mourned over Jerusalem, particularly. We think of the way he mourned on the cross. Jesus is the one who's meek. He's the one that surrendered His glorious rights 
for worship and service in order to serve us as the meek and gentle and lowly one. Jesus was the one who pursued, hungered and thirsted for the righteousness of God to exalt God in his life and in his perfect death. Jesus is the one who shows mercy perfectly to sinners. Jesus is the one who was pure in heart, the man after God's own heart, the greater son of David. Jesus was the one who was ultimately a peacemaker to sinners, who extended his hand of grace to us, that we might know reconciliation with the true God, that we might know true happiness. And the kingdom came to Jesus. It came through Jesus imperceptibly. It came in a way that was glorious and beautiful, but paradoxically, when Jesus was accomplishing His task and pursuing perfect righteousness... He stands before the ruler of his time and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, I'd be fighting to protect it. I would have a legion of angels to come and fight for righteousness in that sense. He said, I have come to witness to the truth. So you are a king then? Yes. I am a king and I'm here to witness to that kingship. But he was a king who came in humiliation, awaiting the full realization and blessing of God through resurrection and through glory. Whenever we think about the change that we desire in the world, the change we desire in us, let's first look on the face of the bloody Savior, the face of the one mocked with our own spit dripping down off his cheek. The one that we have not acknowledged and respected as our king. Let us see the blood dripping down his face as he wears the crown of thorns. And then, let us see that the one who is poor in spirit has truly been the true heir of the kingdom. The one who has been meek now inherits the earth. The one who has been pure in heart sees God because he lives gloriously at God's right hand as the enthroned King of kings and Lord of lords. He sits gazing upon the glory and the beauty of God. He is the Son of God with glory. So when we see the things that need to be changed, when we see the things that need to be changed in us, look at the brow, the bloody brow of Christ in your imagination through the word. See the crown of thorns. Humiliation. But at the same time, see exaltation, see glory, see that your hope is with a living Savior who rules and reigns over heaven and earth at God's right hand, who is with you always, even to the end of the age. That's how the kingdom comes, is first in Christ by His Spirit. He's accomplished all righteousness and perfect love of God for us. But secondly... Let's note then how the kingdom comes to the church through Christ by His Spirit. The blessedness, the happiness, is that in difficult circumstances, in circumstances that are going according to our, our, our way, we, we like our circumstances, whether we're in difficult circumstances or whether we are in circumstances that we like, 
The happiness is much greater. The happiness is objective. The blessedness that he talks about is not, it does not shift and change according to circumstances. It's a blessedness because of a relationship to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship in union with Jesus. His blessedness is our blessedness. But it calls us to understand how we're to be changed. How we begin that change by God's sovereign grace and power and how He who is enthroned at God's right hand is committed to beginning the good work and perfecting it, accomplishing it, bringing it to its end, and then glorifying us when we see Him face to face. And yet we respond to this great grace and truth by having that Holy Spirit of Christ come in and rearrange things, change us, make us poor in spirit. Where we were once selfish, where we were self-centered, where we were expressive individualists like the rest of the world, we learn to be poor in spirit. Because our King humiliated Himself for us. Our King of glory, the King of kings and Lord of lords, became a servant to wash our feet. He calls us as those poor in spirit to pick up your cross and follow me to death. Poor in spirit is realizing there's nothing in us at all that would, that would cause God to look on us with any affection. Nothing in us by nature. Poverty of spirit says... I'm humble because not only am I a creature, I'm a sinful one. My greatest sin against God has been I failed to acknowledge Him as God and be thankful. Forget about all the other sins in words, thoughts, and deeds. I sin against Him because I just don't acknowledge Him as God as I should. I don't thank Him. That's Romans 1. Poor in spirit gets a hold of us and says... We're to be servants. Poor in spirit, when we see Christ, we see Him serving us, so we want to serve in that same way. Being a mourner is realizing that Jesus died because of our transgressions against a just and holy God. An infinitely holy God we offended. And we deserve an infinitely holy, just punishment for all eternity. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus calls us to mourn over those sins. Not first the sins of the culture. Not first the sins of somebody else. Not first the sins of those you work with that have not treated you right. But your sins, the way you've reacted. The way I've reacted. To mourn that I have not more fully been that one who would be salt and light. That I haven't honored God as I should. That my sins have not only messed me up and messed my family up and messed the world up to some degree, but they've been offensive against a holy God. And He's offered His Son in my place. Mourning is just simply repenting each day, turning from ourselves to look on the beauty and glory of a forgiving, merciful Savior in Christ. And blessed are the meek. This doesn't mean weak, beloved. You remember David, the great warrior? David said this. He said, your 
gentleness, O God, has made me great. It was gazing upon the gentleness of God that helped David to be a gentle, though imperfect, king. It's gazing upon Jesus' gentleness. The only time that he refers to himself and his own character is in Matthew 11 where he says, I am gentle, I'm lowly in heart. This is Jesus who, though he was equal in power and glory with the Father and the Spirit, emptied himself, Philippians 2.5 and following says, emptied himself, not of deity, but his right to be worshipped for a season. His right to be honored as God. In other words, he humbled himself. He's no weak man. He's no weak savior. But he was meek. And that meekness was a power under control of the Holy Spirit. It was doing God's will, God's way. In reliance upon the Spirit. That's what meekness is. Doing God's will, God's way in the power of the Holy Spirit. Trusting Him for the results. He calls us to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. That we would want, beloved, to be meek people who are at the same time pursuing what is right in our lives, in our hearts, in our family, in our culture. To pursue it, but with gentleness. You know, we know how to set apart Christ as Lord. We, many of us, know how to do an apologetic. We know how to give a defense of the hope that lies within us. But do we know how to do it with gentleness and respect? I don't all the time. See, the, the meekness is, is fervent uh, for righteousness. For things to be made right. For God's righteousness and rule to, to be realized. But it takes the meekness and the patience of Jesus to do it well as his church. To hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then, what's tied to this? Not just the objective righteousness of, of looking forward to that day when God will make all things right. But causing us to be further righteous. To close that gap between where we are in the perfect righteousness of God, where, where He is in the perfect righteousness of God, and where we are in growing. It's what's called sanctification. We want, we desire to grow in that righteousness as we gaze upon Christ. We desire to be more and more Christ-like. We want to pursue that. We want to hunger for that. We want to be fervent for that. Because Jesus is fervent for us in that. He's the one who began a good work and will accomplish it. You see, we not just want to be hungering thirst for righteousness, but maybe we forget that there's mercy to be shown too. And so here's where that meekness is fervent in objective righteousness, pursuing righteousness, pursuing righteousness in ourselves, beginning with us, but then also remembering to be merciful as you've been shown mercy. How many sins have you been forgiven? Jesus says, the Lord will, you will, that will, you will reflect that love and fervency for Christ based on how much you realize you've been forgiven. If you think you've been forgiven a little, then you will love a little. If you understand that the mercies of God are higher than the skies, the heavens itself, the furthest reaches of space itself, as full as the ocean, 
that God has shown mercy to sinners, then as He has shown mercy to us in Christ, so we want to show mercy to others. We want to show mercy to others. We want to learn to be forgiven, but also to forgive. And Jesus, remember, says in this larger context of the kingdom coming, when He teaches us how to pray, He says, if you don't forgive those who sin against you, if you don't show mercy, your Heavenly Father will not show mercy to you. Now, what He's saying is that those who are unmerciful are not truly those who've understood the blessed life in Christ. And so we strive for mercy, beloved. We strive for mercy. And then in light of that, we strive to be hungry, to, to, to be, I should say, to be pure in heart, to have a, a single wholehearted devotion to God as we see that Jesus has. That we remember there's many idols, idols that we don't see, that we wake up every morning and are tempted to bend the knee to. An idol of power, an idol of position, an idol of control. i got to control my world. An idol of approval. An idol of comfort. They're all idols. They're all idols that promise big things, but they take our hearts away from God to establish that power, to hold that power, to get that approval. To stay in control. To make everything comfortable. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Single-minded devotion, wholehearted devotion to the living God in Him is what we want. Pure in heart, for we shall see God. A pure heart knows it's potentially an idolatrous heart, but it seeks through God's grace in Christ. To repent. And so blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. And finally blessed are the peacemakers. Beloved. We must be reminded how while we were yet sinners. While we were enemies of God. Christ died for us. It's through Christ. Offering up himself for us. To be a satisfactory. Satisfying perfect substitutionary sacrifice to the Father on our behalf that brings us peace with God. There's no other peace with God. This is not just the feelings of peace here. This is that God has made peace with us while we were enemies. And that's why we want to be those who pray for our enemies. Pray for those who can and will abuse us. Remember that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, but to extend peace, to seek peace and pursue it. If we and the church, the blessed ones, can't get along with one another, if we can't seek peace and pursue it in the church, how in the world do you think we're ever going to seek peace and pursue it in the world? The peacemakers begin with themselves that I've got to forgive. I've got to overlook. I've got to speak the truth in love. I gotta extend a hand. I'm not just gonna stay away so low and hide, go into my own place. Normally speaking, there may be situations where we have to go and hide, abusive situations, etc. But in most normal situations, it is true that we're wanting to seek peace and pursue it because God has sought us. He's pursued us 
in the person of the Lord Jesus. To reconcile us to himself and to offer us peace. Shalom. Listen, beloved, listen to that word, shalom. It's a whole-bodied peace where we're embraced as sons. Where we're embraced as the children of God. Where we're embraced as those, not just that the judge says not guilty. Praise God for that. But he says, I'm your father. I love you. I'm crazy about you. I rejoice over you with gladness. I quiet you by my love. I exult over you with loud singing, God says. I've offered you peace. Now pursue that same peace. And so the kingdom comes in Christ. The kingdom comes in Christ through his church, to his church. You see, we're changed. Who, who's to blame for the problems in the world? I am. We are. And as we are changed, then God is pleased to use us in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our families, places everywhere we go into contact with others. We can be living little Jesuses by his grace, living little prophet, priests, and kings. Those who speak the truth in love as prophets, those who priestly pray for others especially for their salvation, but praying for governors, praying for rulers, praying for righteousness to abound in the land. We can be kings, but not yet. We're servant kings. Right now, we're those who wear the crown of thorns. We await the full realization of the glory. We wait the exaltation. But it is ours. Right here, right now. Beloved, as we go to the third point, I won't spend as much time on it, but let me say this. It's important for us to begin with ourselves. It's important for us to see how the kingdom comes in Christ in real space and time in history and then comes through His teaching, by His Word, through His Spirit, in us to transform us. Paradoxically, to do a powerful work of transformation, of training, of teaching us by His Holy Spirit that we're not the same as when we met Christ. Is Remembering that He is transforming us by His grace and then going out into the world to be a blessing in our words, thoughts, and our deeds. The third point is this, that the kingdom of God comes to the culture through the church by the Holy Spirit. Beloved, sometimes we're too much like the world. Sometimes we lean upon Programs and propaganda and politics to change matters. There's a place to be involved as a citizen of whatever nation you're a part of. But it is most important to remember that the best thing that we can offer this world is what has been given to us in Christ, and that's the gospel. That's the love of the Lord Jesus. That's forgiveness of sinners. That's teaching and helping others to see The glory of the gospel, the joys of this blessedness, the true happiness of this blessedness, the freedom of this blessedness that we have found. The world can't see. The world raises its fist and says, I'm starting with you. You're my enemy. You're the problem. In an angry and woke culture, it is hard. 
to get a word in. But you can get a life in. You can get a prayer in. You can make a difference in what you look like and how you act. You can be set apart and by God's grace become even more attractive to the world. Because though the world's wicked and lost in sin, we all are without Christ. We're made in God's image. And there's something in us that keeps us up at night. You know what? The average person on the street may think this is weakness. May think this stuff is foul to talk about meekness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Make it think of it as a waste of time. But something keeps those people up at night. Wondering if it's all true. Wondering if there is a judgment day. Knowing to some degree there is a true God. Romans 1. And exchanging that truth for a lie. Some people right here, right now, all they want to know is, Am I accepted? Can I be accepted? And the answer of the gospel is, Yes, you can through faith and repentance in Christ. The other question that people are asking today, Can I be changed? Can I be transformed? The question is, Yes, yes, yes. In Christ by His Spirit. And if we show that, if we demonstrate we're not the same people we were a week ago, or two years ago, or ten years ago, or whenever we came to know the Lord Jesus, there's a power of the kingdom that's coming. Imperceptibly, paradoxically, yet beautifully and glorious. Because as we make connections, so God by His grace makes new disciples who learn to be poor in spirit. Who learn to mourn over their sins. Who learn to be meek. Who learn to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Who learn the power for mercy. And to be pure in heart. And ultimately to be a peacemaker. Beloved, look at, at with me as I close to Second Timothy. As we're looking at Second Timothy 3, I want to remind you. When the Lord Jesus went to the cross for us and when he, uh, some of his final words to his disciples, where in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And Jesus said, in this world, in your best Christ-likeness by his grace, you'll even be persecuted. You'll be those who remind others that will rile them up in their hate because they see what you have found that they, to some degree, want so much. And it's when we respond with rejoicing and trust in Christ that that can make a difference. It's when we are the salt that preserves the culture, when we're the light that shines, not just in what we say, but in what we do. Let me remind you of something. In 2 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul tells us how the last days will be characterized. The last days are the time period from the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the second coming. And he says this. Listen carefully. Understand this. That's very important. That means Paul wants us to underline this in our Bibles. Understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, 
treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Now, beloved, on top of all that, we give them Twitter accounts. We give them the power to speak their mind. And that's a good thing. Freedom of speech. But what you want to remember is, we've been privileged to live in times in church history where this is not as obvious. And let's be thankful for that. It's not been as made as public. It's not as outwardly manifested. It's not openly online. Boisterously articulated. And if we've had those times, great. But Jesus says, remember, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And listen, the norm of this present age is to be woke and to be angry, to be self-centered, to be haters of God, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And it's in that culture, it's in that world, no matter what nation, no matter what time, that we're called by His grace to be the blessed, happy ones in Christ, in reliance upon His Spirit, to be poor in spirit, to be mourners, to be meek, to hunger and thirst, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, and to be peacemakers. And it's all for the glory of God that they will see our good works by God's grace, through prayer, through change that's possible because of Jesus Christ. And by His good power and grace, they'll give glory to our Father in heaven. And you know what the good news is? Christ is an heir of heaven, and so are you. You mourn now, but the God of comfort will comfort you. You shall inherit the earth along with Christ the heir. You shall see God. You shall be fully satisfied, satiated. You'll be shown mercy. And you'll be called sons of God for all eternity. So right now, your righteousness may cause pain. But it will bring glory to God. And in the end, you will see Him as He is and be completely like Him. And that's very good news. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we're so grateful for the Lord Jesus that He brought in the kingdom in humiliation and exaltation. And we know that we follow Him in that way. Father, we ask that you would help us, um, that we would turn from ourselves to Christ to see his glory, to see how he has served you and us in bringing about our full salvation. And we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, that you who begin a good work would complete it and change us. We pray for every heart here that we would be like G.K. Chesterton, in that while the world might be raising the fist at us and others, we would be um, looking to Christ. And we'd be starting with our own heart, saying, create in me a pure heart, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your mercy. And that we would be those who more and more become like Christ. 
And so, Lord, help us as we are Christians to be salt, to be light. Help us to be against the culture in this sense in order to be for it. So that souls can be saved. And we pray in Jesus' name. And all the church responded with a resounding Amen.